Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. Father, I um, thank you for the privilege we have to just enjoy and have fun and together. And I, Lord, I, I know that uh, there are a lot of people who just can't, they don't have that. They don't have a community of, of people they can have fun with unless they go to a bar or something. And I just, Lord, we just have so much more that we can offer. I thank you for the way you're working in the ministries here at Graceway, the many ministries that exist here and the way that people are, are connecting and they're learning more about you. Lord, that's what we want. We want to be your disciples. We want to serve you. And so to that end, Father, we're going to open your word now. We ask for you to speak to us through it. Teach us, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonah problem number two, poor response to correction. Last week we looked at Jonah chapter one. We saw Jonah problem number one, which was I need to, but I don't want to. And all of us need to learn in our lives, whether it's just a simple responsibility, I need to, but I don't want to, those kinds of things. But then God can use us more powerfully when we know how to do what I need to do, even though I don't want to. And God can direct our paths and take us wherever he wants. Today we're going to talk about a different problem that Jonah had, a poor response to correction. Now we do know that in Jonah chapter 2 he prays, and he has a good response to correction, it appears. But uh, there were some things that happened in his life before he got to the fish, where God could have, God used some things that could have been responded to by Jonah in this area of correction. I mean, God sent a storm. He could have responded at that point and said, okay, God, I, I see, I'll make some changes. The sailors were rebuking him. He could have responded then, but no, he had to have this big fish take over his life, and uh, wow, what a, a challenging experience. I had a sewer problem once, and uh, I called Mike, the sewer guy, to come and fix it, because I tried to my snake. It wasn't doing any good. And uh, Mike came, and he comes with his little snake, and I'm thinking, that's like mine is. He sticks it in the, in the drain thing there, and it's not doing any good. And so uh, he goes back out to his truck and he brings another one about this big with a hand crank on it. And he sticks that in my drain. And that's not doing any good either. Now I'm getting a little bit worried. 
So I said to Mike, Mike, what are you going to do if that doesn't work? And he says, don't worry, he says. If that doesn't work, I've always got something bigger that will. And I think that's what's happening in Jonah's life. And I think that's what happens in our lives, too. In fact, I think that's what parents might say to their kids sometimes. And kids, you don't want to have to wait to the other things that parents can do to you in order to bring you to a place of change. We don't want to wait for that in, in our lives for God to bring about change either. I, I want to be the kind of person who can change quickly. I don't want to have a poor response to correction. So God has to use some drastic experience in my life. Young people, I want to share with you a very important concept about life, something that will help you to be successful. But before I do, let's read our passage today in Jonah chapter 2. Would you stand with me as I read this chapter to us? In Jonah chapter 2, it says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hopes of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. You may be seated. Young people, I want you to understand a very important concept about life, and it is this. That correction is a valuable thing. I think sometimes we react to correction. We become defensive. We get angry. We blame other people. When someone corrects you, whether it's a friend or a parent or a teacher corrects you, what is your response? Is your response instantly to justify yourself? You want to be able to receive correction because correction is so valuable. Some people don't like to be corrected because they believe they're right. They're always right. Let me suggest that if one person tells you that you have a tail, then you can ignore them. But if three people tell you you have a tail, you better turn around and look. <laughs> the point is that we all need correction sometimes, even when we think we're right and we know it all. Correction is a valuable tool that God uses in our lives. Some people reject correction because they take it personally, as if I'm a bad person. Well, the reality is we did something bad and we need to change, and God uses a plan to bring about that change. Let me show you a verse, young people, that I think you're going to want to know. In Proverbs chapter 6, 23, it says this, Correction and instruction are the way to life. In the book of Proverbs, the word life and death sometimes refer to physical life and death. But sometimes they also refer to the quality of life as they do in this passage. If you want to have a greater quality of life, then you're going to learn how to respond to correction well. It is a valuable thing. You can learn things in different ways. You can learn from Google, and you can learn from, from YouTube, and you can learn from a teacher or a parent. You can learn from 
your own mistakes. You know, you can learn uh, from doing a science experiment. You can learn all kinds of ways, but one of the ways we learn is through correction. It's a valuable tool. And it takes humility and courage to respond well to correction. It's one of those life skills we all must develop in our lives so that we can grow more effectively. So we don't become entrapped in our own cyclical thinking, but we're rather able to allow God to make some changes in our lives. Another verse I like, also in the book of Proverbs, is this book, in, one in Proverbs 12.1. It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Mm, we don't use the word stupid in our home. But isn't it interesting that God uses the word stupid here? When I show this to kids, they laugh. Oh, the Bible says stupid. Yeah, he says it does. Well, what is it saying there? It says correction, who hates correction, is stupid. Why, why does it say that? Why is it that it says that someone who hates correction is stupid? One young man told me one time, he says, well, it's because if you keep doing the wrong thing after you're corrected, you're going to look stupid. I said, well, that, I'm going to remember that. That's a good explanation of this verse. You see, there's this reality that uh, God wants to do some things in our lives. He wants to correct us. He wants to bring about change in our hearts. And you know, each one of us are like this diamond that God wants to bring the brilliance out of. But we have all this stuff around us, some of the rocks still on there. And God uses hammers and chisels in our lives to clean up the diamond so that it can shine. Sometimes you use the hammer of a dad and the chisel of a mom to uh, help that diamond shine in a young person's life. But if you reject that, and you don't listen to parents, you don't have a good response to your parents, and what happens? God comes along with a bigger hammer and a bigger chisel. You might be going to work and having someone else tell you to clean up your mess and, and get here on time and do the things I tell you to do. Or it may be that uh, you, have, you get into a relationship and something bad happens in that relationship. God can use all kinds of things to correct us and change us and to draw out of us the beauty that He wants in our lives. But there's always something bigger that God could use, but I don't want to wait for the big things. I just want to respond to the simple things. One dad Years ago, this is a true story in, in our church, um, this dad and mom had a son who was quite rebellious, and we prayed him through high school. That's basically it. We just prayed him through, and he got to high school, and he graduated, and we were grateful that we got that far with him. And his dad says to him, um, why don't you come and uh, work with me at the factory? And the son says, okay. So they go to work, and the dad works in the office up there, but he assigned his son to a foreman in the factory. And he began working for this foreman, and after a week, he comes to his dad, and he says, Dad, I'm quitting. His dad says, why? He says, well, I don't like wearing the uniforms that they got down there. I don't like wearing those clothes, and I don't like people telling me what to do all the time. Every time I turn around, he's telling me what to do. Dad says, well, what are you going to do? He says, I'm going to join the Army. <laughs> That's true. That's a true story. Can you imagine? You know, my son... My son also had a hard time in high school. We prayed him through high school, and, and, uh, and he came at a point where he said, I'm going to join the Marines. Dad, I hope you're not upset. I'm going to join the Marines. I said, no, that's a good idea. Go ahead, join the Marines. I think it'll be good. And then he came home from Marine boot camp, a changed man. It was so great, a conversion experience at boot camp. And uh, he came, and he shared on our Sunday morning worship service, and he said, I got to tell you, 
I'd learned things at boot camp I should have learned as a child. This is what he's saying to all these people, tears in people's eyes. He's saying, when I got to boot camp, they taught me how to dress. He used to wear his pants so low, it was embarrassing for everybody. But now he had his pants pulled up. And now he, he looked nice. And uh, he says, I learned how to talk. I learned how to be respectful. I learned how to follow instructions. I learned how to walk properly. Oh, what a great thing. But God had to use a bigger hammer in his life in order to bring about change that needed to be done. Correction is a valuable tool. Before I go into chapter 2, I want to go back to chapter 1, and I want to look at the conjunctions and just follow the, the path of thought that's going through chapter 1, because before verse 3, God tells Jonah, I want you to get up and go to Nineveh, and I want you to proclaim the message of repentance to them. But, verse 3 says, Jonah, like a three-year-old in a grocery store, runs the other way. And so, but the Lord brought this storm. And the storm was a way to correct Jonah to get his attention. And then we get here, but Jonah went down into the inner part of the ship and he fell asleep. You know, Jonah reminds me of a, a child who you've sent over to take a break. And you say to a child, you need to go take a break, settle down, change your heart, come back and see me. Just pouting, you know, he doesn't want to do it. And so he's got that pout. He's, how long is he going to sit there? He could sit there a long time. And Jonah decides to stay there a long time. In fact, he stays there three days and three nights. That's a long time. I tell kids that if I uh, was in a, in a belly of a fish, it wouldn't take me three minutes before I'd change. But some kids are just so stubborn. Some people are so stubborn. Jonah's so stubborn. I don't want to have that poor response to correction that God has to put me in a big fish for three days. I don't want that in my life. But look at this from the picture of God for just a moment as our Heavenly Father. Just notice what happens. God has something He wants to get done. He wants the Ninevites to hear about the message of repentance. And He chooses Jonah to send him there. So God wants to get something done, but Jonah is unresponsive. So God says, okay, I'm going to put the things I want to get done on hold. We have a lot of things we want to get done in family life. We want to get the clothes cleaned up, the dishes on the, uh, put away. We want to get the food on the table. We want to get kids here and there. And sometimes we just have to stop getting things done because this young man needs some work. This guy needs a detour in his life. A detour that's going to be three days long. God's going to put aside the things he needs to get done temporarily because he cares for an individual who needs some help. This guy needs some work in his life. He needs a detour so he can experience some of my grace. You see, when we're going along doing the right thing, we're going along like this, but sometimes we stop doing the right thing and we need a detour so we can experience God a bit more. A detour. Parents don't like detours because they have to be the tour guides. I understand that. But God uses detours. He used detours in the Old Testament with the Israelites who came to the promised land, and they couldn't go in because they didn't have enough faith. So God says, okay, all right. I'm going to send you out in the wilderness for 40 years. This is not a punishment. You might think the 40 years was a punishment time. It wasn't a punishment. This is a training time where God is going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to lead you. You're going to follow the pillar. You're just going to get up and go. When I tell you to go, you're going to go. He says, I'm going to give you food every day. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to provide you with water. I'm going to guide you around. I'm going to protect you from your enemies. They're learning how to trust for 40 years. So now they get to the promised land, and they're able to go in across the Jordan. They're even able to do something silly, like play their trumpets as they're going around uh, the city. 
play musical instruments. Well, how could they do that? They could do that because they learned how to trust. God does something in the detours of our lives, doesn't he? And those are hard sometimes, the detours of our lives. But there's a place where God is doing some important things, and that's what we're going to see in Jonah chapter 2. But the challenge with Jonah is that we get to this place where he has this big fish swallow him up. He, he didn't have a good response to correction, so he had to wait for something bigger in his life. I don't want that. I don't think you want that either in your life. Jonah chapter 2, it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. If we were going to ask the question, you're sitting over, maybe you feel like that sometime, like the child over here sitting there pouting, I don't like this. Maybe you feel like, I want to repent, but I don't know how. I'm going to show you how to do that today. It comes from this passage. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to come to the Lord, and we're going to say, Lord, I'm reaching out to you. Prayer is a very important part of the repentance process. We can make a change just by coming to the Lord and praying. And he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. There's never any place you can go that's too far from God's voice. That you can call out to God in the midst of the belly of the fish. You can call out to God in the midst of the trial that you're in. You can call out to God when you're eating pig slop and you're wishing you were back at your father's house. And where's the father? He's there with his arms open wide, ready to receive the person who's the prodigal and comes back. Wow. We want to recognize we can't get away from God's presence. He's following us. He's pursuing us wherever we are, and he wants us to change. All we have to do is respond to him and come to him, and he'll receive that. Don't try to clean yourself up before you come to God. Just respond to him in the belly of the fish, just like Jonah did. He says, for you cast me into the deep. Oh, oh, notice in verse 3. Who's responsible for the correction here? Who's responsible for the storm and the, the billows and casting him? Was it the sailors there? Do we blame the sailors for casting Jonah? No. Jonah realizes that God is working instrumentally in his life. And he says, for you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the sea, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. God loves his children so much that he's willing to correct them. And sometimes... The bad things that are going on in our lives is God trying to get our attention, to get us to change, to think about it, to say, hey, I'm trying to correct you here. I also want to say that bad things are going to come into our lives and maybe you're not doing anything wrong. Uh, sometimes we, just because we live in a broken world, bad things happen in our lives. So I don't want you to believe that just because bad things are happening in your life that God is somehow punishing you. That is not always the case, but I do think we always need to ask the question first. God, are you trying to communicate something to me here? Am I doing something wrong in this situation that you want me to change? Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. He's saying, I feel like I'm away from your sight, but the holy temple is this place of intimacy, of closeness with God. And even in the belly of the fish, Jonah's imagining the intimacy with God that he could have. And he's going to move in that direction. This intimacy is what he needs, his holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. He's just feeling overwhelmed. You can just feel that sense of being overwhelmed. And, and when a person is sinning, 
they get to that place where they just feel like they're overwhelmed in their life. I can't live this way anymore. I've got to make a change. That feeling of being overwhelmed is so important because what we'll often say about that person, they finally reached bottom. Right? They've gone down, 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 down until they finally reach bottom. And now they're ready to make a change. They're ready to, to uh, start doing what's right in their lives. There is another kind of feeling overwhelmed. Again, there's this feeling of overwhelmed when you didn't really sin. You didn't cause this sin that's on you. But you're just feeling overwhelmed. That's time for another sermon where we'll see how God is, just comforts us in the midst of the struggles that we have. Not because we've sinned, but because we are his kids. And he wants to embrace us with his love and give us his grace. That's a special kind of, of understanding of God in the midst of feeling overwhelmed that we'll talk about at another time. But this guy's doing the wrong thing. He needs to feel overwhelmed because God wants to bring a change in his life. So he continues and he says, I went down. There's our word down again. This guy's been going down ever since we started this story. He went down to Joppa, then down into the ship. We know also he was thrown overboard, went down into the water, and down into the belly of the ship, of the, uh, of the fish. He's saying, now, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up, I'll circle those words, down and up, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Oh, when you get down to that place where I just don't want to go down anymore, there's that place where you can turn around and start going up. God wants to take us in that space from where we're down, and He wants to turn us around, and He wants to move us in a direction so that we're going the direction that He wants us to go, and that is up. God wants you going up. So if you're going down, 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 maybe there's a problem here that we need to talk about so that you can experience this going up with the Lord, because the Lord brought up my life from the pit. If your life's in the pits, wow, you need to be brought up from the pits. It's the Lord, Yahweh, my God. That's what he says. Yahweh, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Oh, you got to know this word, steadfast love. I would write it down in your Bible somewhere because this is God's favorite Old Testament word. It is the Hebrew word chesed. Chesed. Say that with me. Chesed. you got to do the throat thing. Right, ready, ready? Chesed. Okay, chesed is the, the uh, sometimes it's translated loving kindness. It is such a big word, it's hard to translate. It's translated here, steadfast love, because it, it has to do with God's covenant love. This is, hesed is the faithful love of God that's not based on condition. It's unconditional love. It starts in this idea of God has this unconditional love for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We saw this word hesed mentioned in Nehemiah when we taught through that passage last year. We saw the word hesed used in the prophets over and over again because it's the unfailing love of God that we rely on. This word is so big and so beautiful, you can fall back into the hesed of God no matter where you are. And so Jonah comes to this place where he, really, where he realizes the hope of the chesed of God, the steadfast love. Do you know what God's favorite word is in the New Testament? It's the word grace. It's just like this word, chesed. The word grace is the same word. It's so big, it's hard to define. It, it's so big that we can just fall into the grace of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, 
not of works, lest anyone can boast. It is the grace of God that we fall upon for salvation. But even then, Paul says, Lord, take this thorn in the flesh from me. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace is so big. We could fall back into the arms of God's grace in our lives. Chesed. Jonah is getting it. It's coming to him, the steadfast love of the Lord. Well, the next verse says this. He says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. If you're unrepentant or you're having a hard time pouting before the Lord, as I imagine Jonah is, Thanksgiving is going to be a key. In fact, I would encourage you to start a chart in your Bible. All the times Thanksgiving appears in the Bible, you're going to keep seeing them. Thanksgiving is this powerful tool that God uses in our lives to do something inside of our hearts, and He's using Thanksgiving here in this repentance process. With a voice of Thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. There were two guys at the gym on Friday when I was there. They were talking back and forth, and, and uh, the one guy was complaining because um, someone at the gym asked to borrow $20. So he gave him $20, but he didn't pay it back. So this guy's going on and on. And uh, Jawar, whom I, I got to know his name later, he was interacting with this guy and saying, well, you know, he's probably going to pay you back. He, he just probably um, doesn't have it right now. It just you know, talk to him. He said, I talk to him all the time. This guy's going on about his $20 for a long time. This conversation started over by the mirrors and the sinks and so on. And then when I go to get, to get dressed, um, they're, they're, they happen to be in the same place I am. They're having this conversation. I'm thinking, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to my, my uh, locker. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to get 20 bucks out of there. I'm going to give it to him just to be quiet. I couldn't do it fast enough. I'm thinking this is going to be a great sermon illustration because I'm going to give him 20 bucks, and he's going to say, no, I don't want your 20 bucks. And I'm going to say, it's easier to keep your anger than it is to forgive the guy of 20 bucks, isn't it? That's what I wanted to say because that's Jonah 4 illustration. I was thinking God was going to give me a Jonah 4 illustration because he's angry in Jonah 4. But the guy left finally before I could get to my wallet. So I said to Jawar, I said to him, I was going to give him 20 bucks. And Jawar says, yeah, I was thinking about doing the same thing. <laughs> and we started talking and laughing together. And, I, and, and I, I said, look, I am glad I'm a Christian because God has blessed me so much, I don't have to worry about $20. And he says, yeah, you know, God's blessed me too. And, uh, and, and so we're talking, you know, as we're getting dressed and so on. And this guy says, let me tell you a story. He says, when I was 18 years old, he says, I... I found myself locked up in county because I was on the street and I did something wrong on the street and they locked me up. And that's the first time I was ever locked up, he says. I, I, um, and I was upset. And after a few hours of being in there, I prayed. And when I prayed, just a few seconds later, the guard comes and he says, you can get out. And I said to him, I stopped his story. I said, stop. This sounds like a Jonah story to me. You prayed and right away. You remember in the story, as soon as the guy prayed, then uh, God told the fish to throw and vomit Jonah up on the land. That sounds like you're a modern-day Jonah. He says, yeah. Well, I'm dressed by now with my coat on. And I, he says, let me, um, let me tell you the rest of the story because it didn't quite happen that way. I got out that night, and I went back on the street, and I did something wrong again, and it locked me up again. So I'm sitting down on the bench now listening to this guy tell this story. He says, I said, oh, no, you're kidding. He says, yeah. He says, I was so upset. I thought it might have been God correcting before, but now I knew. 
Then I got out there a second time and I get caught right away. And now I miss Thanksgiving and I miss Christmas. And then I said to him, I bet you never did that on the street again. He said, no way. I never did that again on the street. I asked him his name and I was grateful. And, and then I'm walking out of the gym because... Um, uh, and, and as I'm walking out of the gym, I'm thinking about this story, because I know this is the illustration for this morning. I want to tell it in a minute instead of 10 minutes, like the whole experience stuck in the gym. I'm, and I'm kind of forming the story, and I'm kind of laughing about being grateful for, you know, he's grateful so you can forgive the guy his $20. And I walk out to my car, okay, and I get to my car, and I open my door handle, and there's a dollar bill on my door handle. Do you know why there's a dollar? I start laughing right away. I laughed right away. You know why? You know why there's a dollar bill on my door handle? Because one of you is messing with me. That's why. Because on January 1st, I preached a sermon. And in that sermon, I said, I came out of the gym and I found three dollar bills blowing around on the ground. Remember that? And so one of you, one of you is out there putting a dollar bill on my, so I take the dollar bill, okay? I take the dollar bill and I go out to the back of my car and say, okay. You can show your, there's the place is desolate, there's nobody around. Nobody can find, I can't find anybody. I'm laughing and laughing about the $1 bill. So I get in my car, I look up on my dashboard. Two more dollar bills stuck in the windshield wipers. <laughs> now I'm laughing. Okay, I get out of my car, I take the two more $1 bills, I stick the three $1 bills in my pocket. I'm laughing now as I'm driving down the road out of that place. And then I think, oh no, I really blew it. When I told that story on January 1, I should have said it was $100 bills. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to the gym tomorrow. My car, my car is silver. It's a 2009 Hyundai if any of you want to meet me there. <laughs> hey, there's one more word I want to point out in this passage. It's this word salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is the word yashaw. Yeah, Yeshua. And so when they chose to name him, they called him Joshua. Joshua is named after Yeshua, salvation. He's the one who's going to be the person who is going to save the people. And when the angel came to, to um, Joseph, he said, Mary's going to have a baby who's of the Holy Spirit. And you can name this baby Jesus. Jesus is English. The Greek is Jesus. The Hebrew is Yeshua, but it means salvation. And the greatest correction experience any of us can have in our lives is to recognize that we must make a turn. We must recognize our own sin. It takes humility and courage to say, okay, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I know that's embarrassing to say, but I really am a sinner, and I need a Savior. I need a Yeshua. I need to be able to, to trust the Lord. And we make that repentance, that 180-degree turn, and we come to the Lord and we give our hearts to the Lord and we trust Him and we recognize that He's the one that we need. It's that correction that must take place in our lives for us to experience life, as Proverbs says in 623. We experience life. And so we're so grateful for a God who leaves the uh, 90 and 99 and goes after the one. That's you and me, the one. That he comes and he cares for us so that we can be thankful. It's so, I'm so grateful that I can let go of the $20. I don't have to carry that around and harp about it, you know. And it, but I know that there are offenses in our lives that sometimes we hold on to. 
And the solution is to recognize how big God is and all that he's done for us. And we recognize how much God has done for us, we're able to forgive others more quickly in our lives. Wow, what a story. Jonah had some very important things to learn. God's taken him on a path. And so it says in verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. That ought to get you excited about reading Jonah chapter 3. Your questions are in your bulletin, so get them out. Look at it this week. Get ready for next week. We'll see what else is going on in Jonah's life next week. Would you stand with me and let's pray together? And Heavenly Father, we come before you now, humble people, recognizing that we need you. We need your strength in our lives. Lord, we don't want big corrections. We want small ones, Lord. We want to listen to your whispers, and we'll follow your Holy Spirit as the wind blows through. We'll listen to you, Lord. We just want to be at your feet, and we want to enjoy you. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us and grow us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.